today on It's Time. And I believe it's really important, we as Christians, we're like that. We're light bearers in a pretty dark world. I hear the calling, it's time. Welcome to It's Time, the daily Bible teaching program of Mike Kessler, pastor of the River Christian Fellowship in Twin Falls, Idaho. Today, we're going verse by verse through the New Testament book of Acts. So follow along as we join Pastor Mike. In these few verses here, Paul says, look, it's not going to end in a disaster like you think. The ship's going to be a loss, but none of our lives will be lost. You can always get more stuff, but you can't get another you. So he brings hope to a very hopeless situation. That's the heart, and that's the thought behind what he's doing. Well, notice he says, but on the 14th night had come, And we were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. We don't know how they were able to do this. Sometimes, uh, being in boats for many, many years myself, you can kind of sense when you're getting close to the land. Um, I don't know whether it's just a heightened sense of awareness when you hear waves maybe crashing on a beach far away. Maybe it's they could maybe see some campfires along the shores or whatever, because if you're getting close to land, generally speaking, you're getting close to some type of shore. And so 14 days is a long time to be driven up and down a sea. Uh, remember, they have no way now to control their boat. They're just at the mercy of the seas. And so it says, when the 14th night had come, they were driven up and down the Adriatic Sea. About midnight, the sailors sensed that they were drawing near some land. And they took soundings and found it to be 20 fathoms. And when they'd gone a little farther, they took soundings again, and it found to be 15 fathoms. So it went from about 120 foot to about 60 foot, or, or a 90 foot, excuse me. And they realized that they were, they, were, they were getting closer and closer to land. Then fearing that we would run aground on the rocks, they dropped four anchors from the stern and prayed for day to come. Um, these guys were scared beyond measure because, first of all, there's a couple things. It was extremely cold. Probably there was it was snowing. Uh, a lot of times we don't think that because of the area that it was in, but understanding, again, that this was probably mid to late October, uh, and we all have even seen here in southern Idaho, uh, it's snow in October. I've seen Halloweens where kids are in the snow, and I remember one time I was putting paint on my house in the middle of October, and we had temperatures down 10 above zero. So we know that it can do that. And I, I think this is kind of what it appears was happening here as well, that the weather was was really um, giving these guys a bad time. And so they dropped anchors. They knew if the ship broke up, they'd be thrown in the water. And where they, it's night, are they, are they 20 miles from shore? Are they a mile from shore? They don't know. They can't see. All they know is that the sea evidently sounded different, which it does when you come into uh, shallower water. 
Um, and and uh, so uh, they, they dropped anchors and prayed for day to come. As the sailors were seeking to escape from the ship, when they had let down the skiff into the sea, under pretense of putting out anchors from the prow, Paul said to the centurion and the soldiers, unless these men stay in the ship, you cannot be saved. Wow. It's kind of like everybody needed each other here. The sailors were needed because they were experienced. They were trying to jump ship, but it appears that if they were to get in this, the little skiff and try to make it to land on their own, they could have been blown farther out to sea and died and perished. Their expertise would not be there any longer. And so Paul recognizes the authority and he goes to the centurion uh, and he says, look, if, if the, these guys leave, we're not going to make it. So the soldiers then cut away the ropes of the skiff and let it fall off. Wah! There goes our, there goes our lifeboat. Well, it was about, the day was about to dawn. Paul implored them all to take food saying, today is the 14th day and you have waited and continued without food and have eaten nothing. Boy, 14 days without food. Talk about a month-long fast. These guys went a half a month, just about, uh, scared to death. And so it gives us a better idea of just how treacherous this storm really was. Why does it say that? I believe that there are storms that affect us, even as Christians. Uh, as scary as what the world will experience. Remember, Paul was in the same ship as all these other guys were. And Paul, though, had a hope in God which made the difference because his hope was contagious and gave them hope. He then begins to share with them. He said, an angel of God stood by me, whom I believe and whom I trust in. And he has told me we're all going to make it. You see, that's hope, friends, when there's no hope. And I believe it's really important, we as Christians, we're like that. We're light bearers in a pretty dark world. And not knowing what the future is going to hold. And it's really funny because if you look at the Wall Street Journal or you, you track interest rates or you look at uh, 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 deflation and then what they believe will happen is perhaps inflation, all these things, nobody really knows where this is all going. Well, I shouldn't say nobody. I believe the people who are causing it know where it's going. But I'm saying the general public does not. But it doesn't matter because we as Christians are not reliant upon the world system for survival. We have a heavenly system. If you've been coming on Sunday night, you remember as we study about Elisha and Elijah and how God supernaturally provided, multiplied the oil for the widow woman so she could redeem her sons and they would have some money to live on. And when they were making a pot of stew, they, somebody shredded in some, some poisonous gourds and they said, oh, last master, there's death in the stew. There's death in the pot. And he said, bring me some, some flour. And he brought some flour and he put the flour in there and said, now you can eat it. And the flour is, um, Jesus said he was the bread that came down from heaven. He was the manna that came down from heaven. You put Jesus in a poisoned pot, maybe sometimes even our own life. People have shredded stuff into us that doesn't belong, but you bring Jesus in, it'll heal you, it'll restore you, it'll bless you. And uh, we remember that God spoke to Elijah and um, 
said, Go to a place in the wilderness, and there I will feed you. And the ravens came and brought him food. Um, God has a way of providing for us in the midst of very, very difficult times. So we are on a little bit different world than, than the people of the world are. We, we are ambassadors. We go through what the world goes through. We have a compassion for what the world goes through. But we have a different source of encouragement, a different source of our being, and that's in Christ. Well, notice it says here, he says, I urge you to take some nourishment. This is for your survival, since not a hair will fall from the head of any of you. Imagine that they have just been through the worst storm of their life. Uh, the ship has been horribly decimated. I mean, it's, it's wiped out. Uh, they're throwing out the anchors, trying to stop the boat from ramming up on the rocks. They're doing everything they can do to uh, uh, save themselves. And Paul says, why don't you go ahead and eat? You're not going to die. That's pretty neat. That's had to be some calming words in a very, very troubling situation. Uh, again, saints, we don't want to be part of the problem. We want to be a solution to the problem. As God gives us his strength, we impart that strength to others. And so then he says, I urge you to take some nourishment. Verse 35, and when he said these things, he took bread and gave thanks to God in the presence of them all. And when he had broken it, he began to eat. And then they were all encouraged and also took food for themselves. So Paul brought hope. And how did he do it? He did it by example. He didn't just say, now you guys all need to eat something, but I'm still scared to death, so I'm not going to eat anything. He broke bread, he gave thanks to God in the presence of them all, and he began to eat. And they probably thought, well, yeah, yeah, if he's doing it, I can do it. I don't believe that we really realize how much we influence others. I, I, I see it right here. These guys, if you look at that verse right there, let, let's look at this as a, as, a, as, a, um, as a parallel, or maybe I should say a, a, a stark contrast. Um, it says, and when they, they were all encouraged and also took food for themselves. Look at verse 36. And then go back and look uh, at that, uh, that verse 20. It says, now when neither sun nor stars appeared for many days, no small tempest beat upon us. All hope that we would be saved was finally given up. They went from totally thinking they were never going to be saved to now eating bread because of the example of one person. And I wonder... In each one of our lives, in each one of our homes, in each one of our situations, you may be the Paul. You may be the one person that not only has a faith in God, but also a demonstration of that. So it's not just words only, but it's a demonstration of what you say and what you do are the same thing. Now, if we find ourselves where our words and our actions do not line up together... This is where maybe repentance is necessary and sometimes even publicly to the people that we've offended. So he says, they took food. Verse 37. And in all, we were 260 persons, 60, uh, excuse me, 276 persons on the ship. So this was a um, equivalent to 
probably a pretty good-sized airliner. Uh, that many people were on board on this boat. Now, when it was day, they did not recognize the land, but they observed a bay with a beach into which they planned to run the ship if possible. So they decide now that they're going to go ahead and run aground. And they let go the anchors and left them in the sea. By the way, I, I, I've been meaning to talk to Chuck Missler. I know him. He does to every man and answer with me sometimes on Monday. Him and his team, they went over trying to find these four anchors. I, I don't know if they found them or not. I'll, I'll have to find out. That'd be a great find, wouldn't it? And so they let go the, the anchors, left them in the sea. Meanwhile, losing the rudder ropes, they hoisted the mainsail to the wind and made for shore. But striking a place where the two seas met, they ran the ship aground, and the prow stuck fast and remained immovable, but the stern was being broken up by the violence of the waves. So half the ship was stuck, the other half was wiggling around, bashing against the rocks. What a mess. Talk about what Paul said. He says, this is going to be a mess if you leave Fair Haven. And it was exactly as he said. Now, uh, going back to what Paul said earlier, you should have listened to me. Uh, Friends, don't be embarrassed that when you say something and it comes to pass as you say, that you do not point that out, that God gave you the wisdom to know that. You know, sometimes in relationships, sometimes in certain jobs, you say, hey, that ain't cut out for you. And uh, they kind of look at you and say, well, you know, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And uh, when you obviously see it's not in line with God's word, then that's why you have the authority to say that. Otherwise, you might be known as a busybody getting involved in other people's business. But, but if, if uh, there's something obviously, somebody's doing something that's not right, well, then you, you say that and you can say this isn't going to come out good. And uh, you can use that authority from God's word saying you should have listened. You see, God gives every believer authority uh, because you belong to him. Uh, In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, Paul says, Do you not know that someday you'll judge angels? How is it that you cannot discern matters between yourselves? I think that's true. Now, there are busybodies. There are busybodies in the church. There are probably busybodies here. I mean, we, we know that they're around. Sometimes you have to listen to what they say. Sometimes you don't. But we always have to listen to what the Word of God says. And if the Word of God, whether it's coming from somebody that maybe doesn't know that much, or whether it's somebody that's in a position of authority, the Word of God's true. And the word of God doesn't lie. And so we're obligated to follow what his word says. So half the boat sticks into the rocks. The other half is still floating, being battered back and forth, being destroyed. Now the soldiers planned to kill the prisoners, lest any of them would swim away and escape. This is fairly traditional. Um, 
Because if you allowed, as a Roman guard, we've been over this before, a soldier, to allow a prisoner escape, then you would get the punishment that was coming to that prisoner. And so they didn't go for excuses. You couldn't say, well, it was dark. I couldn't see what was going on. Or there was a shipwreck and, you know, that's just the way it happens. Or, you know, the caravan broke down and uh, they kind of ran off into the... They didn't accept excuses. The Roman government was very, very fist of iron. In fact, uh, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, if you remember, where you saw the head of gold, shoulders of silver, stomach of brass, legs of iron and feet of iron and clay, the legs of iron, iron is ungiving, unwielding power is what the whole idea behind iron is. Um, uh, there's not much intrinsic value in it, unlike the head of gold or shoulders of silver or even brass for that matter. But iron is um, what they make axes out of. Well, understanding that, uh, this is why their plan was to kill all the prisoners. But the centurion wanting to save Paul, uh, you couldn't say, well, you know what? We've got a couple hundred prisoners here. We're going to kill all of them but this one. You couldn't really do that. You had to kill them all. And the centurion wanting to save Paul, notice what it says, kept them from their purpose and commanded that those who could swim should jump overboard first and get to land. Case in point. Paul's faithfulness to God saved these other people's lives. That's the way it always works, friends. We don't really realize being salt and light, what a lot of times that means. And because Paul was faithful to God, and because Paul knew and had a relationship with God, and because what Paul said was true, and he wasn't a quiet believer, he said, look, not one of you is going to die here. You haven't eaten anything for 14 days, which tells me he was very much aware of their need His whole focus wasn't upon himself, but his focus was upon them. You guys haven't eaten for 14 days. Here, have some bread. Let me show you. God, thank you. And he breaks it. He eats it. And they go, oh, that's what, I remember how you eat. (laughs) That could catch on. So he ate. And the rest, some on boards, some on broken pieces of the ship. And so they all escaped safely to land. Just as Paul said would happen. Now, verse 1 of chapter 28, we're just going to go a couple verses here because we don't have time to get into the entire chapter and it's it's due an entire um, uh, study. Now, when they had escaped, then they found out the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness For they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. Here you find their hospitality in a time of great trial. Now, understanding that after 14 days, not eating much of anything, having a little bread before they jumped over the side of the boat, They weren't probably very strong. They were probably pretty weak and pretty worn out. They probably, most of them, hadn't slept. And understanding that, hospitality from these people were was no more the welcome. Now, notice it also says, and the natives. The word here is the barbars, the barbarians. Some of your uh, Bibles may even use the word barbarian. 
and we think of like Conan or something, but really uh, what barbarians were is anybody that could not speak Greek was considered a barbarian. Uh, it was the language of the elitists. And so, uh, but even though they were considered natives or barbarians, it was their kindness that made the difference in their life. Now, next week when we get into this study, we're going to see some interesting things here because what happens is people's superstition. And people's superstition has to be replaced with absolute fact. Do you know there's a lot of superstition around the things of God? You know, well, don't lay anything on the Bible. Or, well, you know, if you don't go to church every Sunday, God's going to get you. Or enter whatever it is that you may have heard. There are certain things that are well-founded in what we believe. And there are certain things that are just flat-out kind of goofy. Superstition oftentimes is what will go out of an individual's life when they become born again and when they begin to grow in the Holy Spirit. Superstitions, what would they be? Well, if I glue a plastic Jesus to the dashboard of my car, I'm invincible. I'm a body and fender man for many years. (laughs) They bend them up just the same. So what does that mean? People will put their faith, and that's what superstition is, in things other than God. And understanding that sometimes in the Bible, the people who were new to faith, they needed a point of contact to be able to relate with God. But the idea would be that they would grow past that and grow up and become then a real follower of Christ. See, that's why we as Christians don't really need pictures of Jesus around our neck. Uh, we, don't, we don't have to have statues to remind us of the presence of God because we know God is in our heart. And the problem is oftentimes is that we try to somehow seek out a, a legal relationship with God rather than a love relationship with God. And God just simply says, come to me. All you are labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest. See, God had an eye for those who were in trouble. Paul had an eye for those who were in need. We would have compassion on those that are around us. And Jesus, seeing the multitudes, had compassion on them. I believe that compassion is one of the key ingredients in any real ministry. Some people have a ministry just so they can stand up in front of people and have their name and lights and all that kind of stuff. And uh, that's not what Christianity is. Christianity is when you focus on the needs of others and you do everything you can do to bring them out of the darkness they're in and into the light of Christ. That's what real love is. That's what real, that's what real ministry is. That's what God's love is. And so understanding that, where does that leave us as Christians? Well, if you're in a situation, maybe you're in a company that they announce they're closing the doors in a few weeks. You are the Paul of the ship. They're all going, whoa, tears and agony on me. You're saying, you know what? God's got a plan here. And you know, your faith will change the hearts of others because they see Christ alive in you. We're the living Bible the world reads. May God help us so that they read clearly the love of God. Father, tonight, thank you for the examples that we see in your word and how one person, God, made a difference. One person. 
Save the lives of those guys that were on, those girls that were on that ship. Father, we ask you tonight that for each one of us, that we would be reminded of these things. That we're not the down and out people. We're not the the down in the mouth people. We're people that trust you and look for you to do brand new things in our life each day. Miraculous things. And if the birds have got to come and feed us, then the birds will feed us. God, if the oil pours out of the pot and fills all the jars, then God, you'll have a pot that pours out oil. God, whatever it is, we know that you're the supplier of our needs. That's why we can have hope, God, in a world that's failing. Remind us of that. Give us that hope each day. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for joining us on It's Time as Pastor Mike teaches verse-by-verse through the Bible. If you've missed a program or would like to catch up, you can do so by getting it from the It's Time podcast in the iTunes store or by downloading it from the It's Time website at theriverchristianfellowship.com. On behalf of Pastor Mike and the rest of us here at the River Christian Fellowship, thanks for listening. And tune in next time for It's Time.